Well, hey, we're going to dive into God's Word today. If you have your Bible, turn to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. We're going to start about halfway through the chapter here. Uh, If you don't have your Bible, but you have a phone and you have the Bible app on it, I encourage you to go to the events tab, and then you can find us there, Hillside Missionary Church. And then you'll find actually all the information that you normally find in your paper bulletin uh, right there, so that next time you can just have everything on your phone. Hey, if you don't have either one of those, that's okay because the scripture is going to be right behind me. Uh, we believe that this is God's word. We believe that it is perfect, that it's authoritative over our lives, meaning what it says goes for us. And so we dive into it every single week and we talk about what it means for our lives today. We're going to be in Mark chapter 14, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, we started a sermon series last week that I've entitled The Road to Easter. And so we're looking at different scenes in Jesus's life here in the last week before he will give his sacrifice ultimately on the cross. And so today we're going to look at the Garden of Gethsemane. This is right before he's betrayed. Uh, Judas, one of his disciples, is about to hand him over to the religious leaders who will then put him on trial and eventually put him on the cross. And so we're looking at the moment just before he's betrayed. It's called uh, a place that he's at. It's called the Garden of Gethsemane. So read with me here in Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 32. This is what it says. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took with him Peter, James, and John, and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to him, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. Going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch for one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And they came a third time, and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. We're going to talk about this and what this means for our lives today. Before we do that, though, let's just go before God one more time. Ask Him for His help with that as we talk about it. Pray with me, if you will. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word today. We thank You so much that we have access to it. And uh, Jesus, as we talk about it, again, as we prayed earlier, I pray that we wouldn't be stagnant Christians that have plateaued in our faith and are just getting more head knowledge. But Jesus, that we would truly worship you and glorify you better because of the time we spent here this morning, that we would leave this place in a deeper relationship with you than when we first came in. Help us to serve you. Help us to worship you. Help us to glorify you in all that we do. Open our eyes. Soften our hearts, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, I've got a question for you. Uh, Does anyone like to paint? Raise your hand if you like to paint. Like walls. uh, You can paint a canvas. Very few hands I'm seeing. I'm seeing maybe three. A small handful of people who like to paint. I find that this is a very controversial subject. Uh, Many people do not like to paint. 
Uh, some people would say anybody can paint. Uh, if we've ever had a church work day, you know that is not the case, right? And I've cleaned up several messes, okay? And so uh, not everyone can paint. It's very frustrating. Sometimes it can be very tedious. Sometimes you're looking around and you're like, oh, yeah, I'll roll this. That'll take, what, an hour? And then eight hours later, you're still not done with the project. It can be frustrating. And I remember when Tammy and I, we bought our first starter house about seven years ago over in Mishawaka. And I thought, man, painting, what's that going to take a few hours? Hours. We can paint the whole house in this. This is nothing. Well, a week later, it still wasn't done, right? And it's just, it's a very tedious process. And I remember, man, the first project where it was on me, I'd helped other people paint before. But that first project, right, when you first buy that house and that's on you, you start to get a lot more particular about the way that the paint is being done, right? It's not just, well, slap some paint up there. It doesn't look that great, but it's painted, so it is what it is, right? When you're living in that house and you look up at bed in your bed, right, and you're, you're looking at the ceiling and you're seeing the streak lines from the roller, you're like, man, I got to do better than this. This is annoying. This is just not good. And what I found is that I started YouTubing things. I invited a friend over who was a professional painter to my house. I asked him to help me to paint. And what I found was that when you know certain techniques and when you know how to actually paint, right, not just slap some paint on the wall, but when you know what you're doing and when you know what true painting really is, painting's a lot more enjoyable, right? Things are a lot more fun when you know what you're doing and it's not like this mess on your walls any longer. And the same, I think, goes for our faith. Now, I, don't, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to who have either left the faith or who have been discouraged to trust in Jesus with their life because of the fact that they looked at other Christians and they said, I don't want that. Or other Christians have told them certain things that just simply weren't true. Or told them a certain version of Christianity that is not really biblical. And they saw that and said, I'm, I'm done with it. I, I, I'm done. Just similar to painting a house and getting frustrated and saying, I, I'm done. I'm, I'm shaking my hands at this. I, I can't do this any longer. But when you truly look at it, when you truly look at what it looks like to follow Jesus, when you look at Scripture, when you look at God's Word, and you see followers of Jesus who are doing a good job, and you see a real picture of what it looks like to follow Jesus, Jesus suddenly becomes a lot more attractive to follow after here. And today, here's what I want to point out. And here in Mark chapter 14, Jesus shows us an instance of what it looks like to trust in God. You see, many times uh, we can fall into this very fluffy light. Uh, I call it Pinterest and Instagram theology, right? You're scrolling through and you'll see something like a Christianese phrase that sounds really good, right? God helps those who help themselves. Oh, that's so good. That's, that's probably in the book of Hezekiah, which if you didn't know, doesn't exist, right? Okay, so these, sometimes it's really simple just to be scrolling through Facebook or scrolling through Instagram or Pinterest or wherever social media you might find yourself or be interacting with other Christians and these Christianese phrase, phrases kind of sound really good, right? Until they end up don't working out. They, they end up not working out, and then suddenly you're kind of left with a decision of, man, should I keep following after God when those things didn't end up well for me? Or do I just leave? And unfortunately, many people find themselves leaving and chasing after something else. And so today, here's what I want to look at. Jesus here, he trusts in the, God, the Father's plan here. He trusts in God's plan and what he will do. And he knows he is aware of what will happen to him. He will, the very next day, be hung on a cross. A torturous, horrific death for the sins 
of the world. He knows what he is going to face. And this instance shows us what it truly looks like to trust God. Because sometimes we can have the Instagram, Pinterest theology, the light, fluffy stuff, right? You just need to trust in God with everything that you have, and everything's going to be rainbows and butterflies. You're going to get a new job. You're going to have a great relationship with your spouse. Your kids are going to love you. You're going to have a great relationship with them. You're going to drive the best car, and life is just going to be great. So why don't you just trust in Jesus right now? And the problem is, sometimes life doesn't always work out like that. In fact, many times it doesn't work out like that. And so, I'm your pastor, I love you, I don't want you to get caught up in that and leave the faith, because that's not really what Christianity is all about. Christianity, following after Jesus, is not about making your life rainbows and butterflies and perfect all the time. It's about trusting in Jesus. We're going to get into that in just a minute. So here's what I want to do. By looking at Jesus' story here, we're going to find out three ways of what it does not look like to trust in God. We're going to uh, get, get rid of some of the Instagram, Pinterest theology points here, and we're going to take a look and see what Jesus actually does and what it really means to trust in God's plan. Here's what I want to point out to you first. It says this, that he, Jesus, took with him Peter, James, and John. These are his uh, uh, closest disciples here. These three come with him in certain instances, Peter, James, and John. And look at this. It says that Jesus began to be greatly distressed and troubled. Greatly distressed and troubled. Jesus didn't do anything wrong. He's doing exactly what the Father's plan is. And yet he's distressed and he's troubled. In fact, he continues on and he says to him, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. Light, fluffy, not true theology is going to tell you, you know what, you just need to be blessed, not stressed. Have you ever seen, I've seen a mug that said that at the store. I'm blessed, I'm never stressed, right? I want to tell you something. As a Christian, you are going to be stressed, okay? There's going to be times in life where it's just hard and it's really difficult. So the first thing that we need to just kind of get out of our minds is that Christianity always makes you feel comfortable. Following Jesus always makes you feel comfortable. That's just simply not true. You're going to be stressed as Jesus was. In fact, it says that Jesus was greatly distressed. He's sorrowful even to death. He's not happy right now. He's not all smiles. He's not all rainbows and butterflies. This is a hard time in Jesus' life. In fact, In the Gospel of Luke, it records the same instance of Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it includes another detail that the Gospel of Mark does not. Luke 22.44 says, And being in agony, this is Jesus, he prayed more earnestly. Look at this. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. In studying for this uh, message, I ran across a medical condition. I'm not a doctor, and I'm not even going to try and pronounce it. It starts with an H. That's all I got in the word. It's very long. But there is a real condition where you can become extremely stressed and have a lot of anxiety where this can really happen. Now, this is, causes a lot. This is not like, I, I don't know if I can play for my Netflix subscription next month, right? This is a real stressful, anxiety-driven condition that can happen. Um, your blood vessels in your temples are shaped like webs. They're very thin uh, blood vessels. And so when this stress and this anxiety happen, it can actually cause your blood vessels to burst, causing the blood to go through your sweat glands, mixing with your sweat, and causing you to, to literally sweat blood. And we think that this is actually what Jesus is facing right now. It's that stressful. It's that 
anxiety-driven. And in your Christian walk, sometimes that's going to happen. Sometimes you're not going to feel comfortable. God is going to call you to do things outside of your comfort zone. In fact, I would venture to say this, oftentimes, if you're following after God, if you're, if you're listening to the Holy Spirit's leading in your life, there are going to be uncomfortable times. And that's when God can shape you and He can mold you and conform you to His image better than in good times. He will use these things for your good. Romans 8.28 tells us that if you love God, He's working all things out for your good. And so things might not be comfortable right now, but God's going to shape you. He's going to mold you. He's going to get you through that. It doesn't mean that it's going to be exactly how you think all things should happen or your preferences, but it does mean that God's going to get you through it and we can trust in Him. So it doesn't mean you're always going to feel comfortable. What, what else? Look at uh, verse 36. It says that Jesus prays this, Abba, Father. If you don't know this term, this is an Aramaic term, that first word, Abba. It's just a common word for dad. And so literally in the original language, it says Abba and Father then in Greek. And so Jesus here, he's praying to his Father. He's using these common language words. And if anyone was listening, people would have been blown away that he called God the Father Abba. They would have been completely blown away. Nobody referred to God in such a personal term. Jesus, he has a personal relationship with God the Father. Being God himself, they're obviously united in one. They have a perfect relationship. And he says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Here's a second myth that I, I want to expel, and that's that you're always going to want to do God's plan. In, in this Christian walk and following after Jesus, He's going to call you to do some things, and you're going to say, uh, I don't want to do that. I, I, I'm not sure that I want to do that, God. Can I confess something to you? Uh, I feel very called that this is where God wants me, to be the pastor of Hillside Missionary Church. I don't like Indiana, okay? I want to be on a beach in California if it were up to me. I'd be in San Diego hanging out on a beach right now. And maybe we could preach the gospel there and have church out on the beach. That sounds awesome. I would love that life. Well, here you get the clouds and you can go to Lake Michigan approximately two days a year. That's really nice. That's awesome. I, that's not exactly what I want to be doing, but it's what God wants me to be doing. And so just because you don't want to do it doesn't show a lack of faith. You know, many times we might say, well, just because God wants me to do it, I need to want to do this. It's okay if you don't want to. Jesus shows us this message here. He shows us, hey, he doesn't actually want to do this, yet he submits to the Father's plan. He understands something that Isaiah 55 verse 9 puts perfectly. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways, God says, are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. He understands the Father's ways are better than His. And so He submits to the will of the Father. He trusts in the Father, just as Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says that we are to do, to trust in the Lord with all your heart and to do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. Just because you don't want to do it doesn't show a lack of faith. You know, many times you might think, man, I don't want to do it. I have this, this faith crisis. Do I really love Jesus? Hey, listen, you're in good company. Jesus said, not my will, Father, but your will. If there's any other way, please, God, make it happen. One more thing I want to expel as a myth. Take a look at this again. Jesus, he's, he's praying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for me. 
Remove this cup from me. Jesus asks the Father, is there any other way of salvation? Is there any other way that you can go about saving mankind? Jesus is on board with that, but he's saying, hey, God the Father, is there any other way that you can go about this? Can you just kind of wipe the slate clean? Can, can, is there some way that, that people can have a relationship with you without me dying on the cross? Now, we know as people that live in today after Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross, that's the only way because that's the way that God chose to do it. It's a beautiful way. It shows us his great love for us, but it also shows us this, that we can ask for something else. We can ask. Just because you uh, are feeling led to go do something doesn't mean that you can't ask the Father to go a different way. In fact, Jesus does this. He asks, hey, is there any other way that this could go about happening? Now, he ultimately submits to the will of the Father, and we'll get into how to do that here in just a moment. But right now, I just want to point out, hey, listen, just because you ask for something else doesn't show a lack of faith. In fact, Jesus' own mother does this here in Jesus' first miracle. It happens at the wedding at Cana. It says that Jesus and his disciples were invited to this wedding, and when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus, he says this to, to his own mom. He says, woman, what does that have to do with me? Now, don't take that as uh, rude or something like that. that. That word woman in the original language, that would just mean ma'am. It's just a kind of a, a courteous way of speaking. Ma'am, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. So Jesus, essentially, if you're like me, you read that, and that's a no, right? I mean, Jesus is saying, hey, it's, it's not time yet to do any miracles. Uh, so what do you want me to do here? And yet, this is Mary's reaction in the next verse, in verse 5. It says, His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. That is fascinating to me. You see, Mary essentially gets a no from her son, Jesus, and then she just goes on and says to the servants, Hey, whatever he says to do, just go ahead, just go ahead and, and, and do it. Now, that's interesting to me because if Jesus says no, Many times, right, this light, fluffy theology would say, Jesus says no, then no, you can't ask anything else. And yet Mary, she goes and, and she acts as if Jesus said, well, maybe I'll think about it, right? And then she just goes, hey, whatever he tells you to do, make sure you do it. Essentially, she's continuing to ask. Essentially, she's setting herself up for Jesus to do something different than what he said he will do. And it shows no lack of faith when she does that. In fact, if you know your Bible well, Jesus, then this is his first miracle. He turns the water into the wine. It's, it's this concept of trusting in God and knowing that he's going to hear you when you ask. 1 John 5.14 tells us this. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything to his will, he hears us. Now that doesn't mean you're always going to get the answer you want. That doesn't mean you're not going to get a no when you want a yes. But it does mean that you have the confidence that Jesus will hear you. So, if trusting God doesn't mean necessarily these things, then what does it look like to trust in the Father's plan? What does it look like to trust in God's plan? I want to point out three things that it looks like to, to trust in God's plan. The first thing comes right here from verse 42, or 32, right at the beginning of the passage here. It says, They went to the place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. It's interesting, uh, the disciples, and, and you know, they fall asleep here, if you know the end of the story as we, as we read it here. 
they end up falling asleep. They don't do what Jesus asked them to do. But I do find it interesting that he simply says, you just sit here, let me do the work. And then Jesus, he shows us this, this example of what it looks like to trust in God. He's praying to God the Father. And if you're going to trust in the Lord the way that Jesus showed us to, not the way that Pinterest shows us, not the way that Instagram shows us, but the way that Jesus shows us how to trust after Jesus is to be prayerful. You have to be prayerful. Now remember, as Jesus prays, he says, Abba, Father. It shows us this deep relationship that God has Uh, or that Jesus has with God the Father here. And it shows us this relationship that we ought to have with God as well. That we ought to have this personal relationship. Not that we're just praying before meals. Not that we're just praying on a Sunday morning here at church. But we pray without ceasing, as 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says. We're constantly in a conversation with the Lord. And what can happen out of this is surreal. Take a look at Philippians chapter 4 with me. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That doesn't mean this is going to be an instant thing where no longer you will suffer with anxiety if you do right now. God could choose to do that. Or it could be the type of thing where God is molding you, He's stretching you, and He offers you a peace that doesn't look like the world's peace. In fact, Jesus says, I give you peace that doesn't look like the world's peace. I give you something better. Philippians 4, 7 says it surpasses all understanding. It doesn't even make sense, the kind of peace that God is giving you. But that only happens through prayer. You have to be a prayerful person if you're going to trust truly in Jesus. Take a look here in verse 36 again with me. When he says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Look at what Jesus is doing. He's submitting to God the Father. We just talked about this a little bit earlier. But he's submitting to God the Father. He's saying, not what I will, but God, what you will. If you're truly going to trust in God's plan, it does mean that you're submitting to God's will in your life. It means that you're saying, hey, ultimately, I'm going to ask this, God. I I want this to happen. Here's my preference. But ultimately, not my will, God, but your will. And so I can ask this, but the attitude is an attitude of submission to God. Um, You know, Instagram, Pinterest theology, they're going to tell you, in your prayer life, you need to name it and claim it. You need to, you just need to tell God what, what, what is going to happen, and you just need, you're going to name it and claim it, and this is exactly what you need to do, God, then this is what's going to happen in my life. And yet Jesus, he shows us a different picture of what it looks like to ask God for something. It's not wrong to ask God for something, as we just talked about. However, we do have to have an attitude of submission, as Jesus shows us, to say, hey, I want this to happen, but God, ultimately, I submit to you, as James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. I'm submitting to you, God the Father. Submitting to your plan. Um, I shared earlier that my wife and I, uh, we bought a house about seven years ago. That was our starter house. And then uh, for a while we were looking, our family was growing, and so we were looking for a larger house. And a few months ago we just found it. it, took us about a year, but it's great. It's really close here to the church, only a few minutes away, and it's just a huge blessing that God gave us. But um, during that year that we were looking, man, it was hard. You guys know the housing market right now, 
uh, is just on fire. It's just kind of crazy. It's hard to find something. Inventory is uh, really low. So it's difficult. And so eventually we found something, and man, we just felt like it was an answer to prayer. This is a, a good house for us. And so uh, we decided, yeah, let, let, let's jump on it. We've been working with a really good realtor. She actually helped us to buy our first house. So we had kind of a relationship with her. We really liked her work. And so um, it, it was kind of complicated, though, because we already owned a house. And so when you already own a house and you're moving, well, you got to sell that house, right? And so it's kind of a complicated process. We had to sell a house. We had to buy a house at the same time. And, uh, and so there's a, a point in there. We were trying to work out all the details. There's a lot of moving pieces, a lot of parties involved. And so um, we, we were kind of talking to each party individually and just trying to get a timeline on board here. And so uh, there's a point where our realtor asked Tammy and I to, uh, she, she basically said, hey, this is the timeline that I think it needs to happen in. And I looked at that timeline and I said, yeah, but that, that seems a little risky because that means I could get stuck with two houses or it means I could be technically homeless, right? And, and I could lose out if that buyer maybe changes his mind or doesn't show up or something. And I, I, I talked to her and I said, I, you know, I just don't know if I feel comfortable doing that. It, it just seems a little risky. And she just, she just talked to Tammy and I and she said, it's okay. I need you to trust the process here. And we said okay, if that's the case, this is the way that it has to work out, we do. We're going to trust, we're going to trust you, and we're going to trust that you know what you're doing, and you've obviously seen a lot more real estate transactions than we've seen. It seems risky to me, but we trust you. You know, I think if, if we can trust someone here on earth like that, I get you know, a house, that's a, that's a big purchase, right? That, that's a big deal. But something bigger is your entire life and your eternity. And if you can trust in someone with your biggest purchase here on earth, certainly you can trust God, all-powerful, all-loving, perfect, beyond all measure. You can trust Him with your eternity, and you can trust Him with your plan here on earth. Again, it may not always work out the way that you want it to, the way that you think it should, but we need to have an attitude that submits to God's will in all things in our lives. You may read something in Scripture and you might say, man, that's just really difficult for me to grapple with. And we're all going to have different issues when we're reading and we're saying, man, I, this is hard. This is hard for me to believe. This is hard for me to grapple with. But we need to submit to God and say, obviously your ways, as Isaiah 55, 9 says, are higher than mine. And so I'm going to submit and I'm going to say, God, obviously you know something that I don't. And so these couple of issues that I might have with your word, I'm going to submit to you on this. Can I admit something to you, church? I'm a pastor. I have a master's degree in Christian ministries. Uh, I study God's word a lot. And there are sometimes I have a difficult time grappling with God's word on something. Even I have a hard time with that. And yet we all need to submit to that and say, God, not my will, as Jesus says, but yours be done. To have this attitude of submission to say, man, if it were me, I probably would have written it differently. If it were me, I probably would have made different rules up. But it's not up to me. And thank the Lord that it's not, right? I think that God, He gave us this. It's perfect. He gave us His Word. And we can submit fully to it. One more thing I want to point out before we run out of time this morning. But that it's, uh, it's this last verse in, in verse 36. Jesus, He prays to God the Father. He says, not my will, but yours be done. He puts His hope where? He puts it in God the Father's plan. And He says, I trust in that plan for the salvation of of all mankind. 
2 Peter 3.9 tells us that it's God's will that all will be saved. That tells us that Jesus believes that all people, He wants them to be saved. Now, obviously, we have our free will, but that is His desire that we are all to be saved. And so Jesus here, He says, I want a different plan, but if this is the plan that will save the most amount of people, God, if this is your plan, if this is your perfect plan, the only way that you think it should happen, then I'm on board with that because I hope in that. I hope in you, God. And for us as well, our hope is in Jesus and Jesus alone. And when we trust, when it looks like to truly trust in Jesus is to say, my hope isn't in money, my hope isn't in fame, my hope isn't in a job security or in a certain number, in a 401k account. My hope is not in uh, being a certain way or being perceived as a certain way. My hope is in Jesus and Jesus alone. Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. May we have the hope that Paul writes about in Romans chapter 15, verse 13, when he says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Your hope should be in Jesus and Jesus alone. It is only through Jesus that we can be saved. Jesus says this in John 14, 6. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so as we close today, I want to ask you a simple question. Where's your hope at? Are you living an Instagram, Pinterest, theology version of Christianity? Or are you really truly living the way that Jesus gave us the example of in His Word? As He trusts in God the Father. Are you putting your hope in Him and Him alone? Are you prayerful? Are you submitting to God's will? And is your hope in Jesus. If it's not, then my prayer, for, my prayer for you today is that you would trust in Jesus. If you've never seen that before, if the only version of Christianity you've ever seen is someone who put their hope in Christianese little sayings from Pinterest or Instagram, and you've seen a really bad version of what Christianity looks like. Maybe you've seen a, a version of what Christianity looks like, and people were hateful. People were gossips. People were not kind to you, not loving towards you. Let me tell you, that's not the version of Christianity that Jesus left to us. To follow after God means to be full of hope, full of grace, and full of truth, as it says that Jesus was. He was full of grace and full of truth. Some version of Christianity, they'll take away from God's Word. Some will add to it. And Jesus says, this is what I left to you. It's perfect as it is. Live the way that I gave you the example for. And so today, if that's the only version that you've ever seen, people who have abused certain parts of Scripture, people who have gone astray, I want to just say from the church perspective, I'm sorry that you've experienced that. And that today can be your day to say, I'm not following after any of that. I'm following after Jesus. I'm following after the example that He gave to us, that He would lay down His life for us, that He, to have a relationship with us, to make that available to each and every one of us, would face the cross, a horrific, torturous death. And He did that for you. He did that for me. He did that for all of us. To offer a free gift of salvation. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. Let me pray for you. 
Father, I pray for each and every one of us here today. And I pray that we wouldn't follow after a light and fluffy version of Christianity, but that we would really follow after the example that you left for us in your word. Father, if there's someone here today who's never done that, who's never hoped in you, I pray that today would be their day, that they would give their life to you, Jesus. God, if, if there's anyone here who's experienced hurt from the church, who's experienced that pain of Christians being unloving towards them, Father, I, I pray that you would be close, that you would be near to them, and that they would experience something different. They wouldn't leave Christianity because of a bad experience, but Jesus, they would see your example in your word and that we could be that church to surround them and show them what Jesus truly is like. God, help us to do that. Help us to do that today. Help us to do that next week, the next week, the next week, next month, next year, and, and going on, Jesus, help us to do that. Not just a season of life, but God, a lifestyle of loving like you loved, full of grace and full of truth. Jesus, that's who you are. Help us to follow you. Help us to take your example and show others your love. It's in your precious, life-changing name we pray. Amen.